Welcome to another broadcast of Hope from the Heart. My name is William Rogers. We're teaching through the book of Revelation, and the text for today is found in Revelation chapter 14. Again, I would like to point out that this is an uh, expository look at the book of Revelation, and uh, it is a very difficult, difficult task. In fact, we find ourselves today again in chapter 14, uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20. We actually begun last week, and uh, we covered verses 14 through 16. So today I want to look just briefly at that, just a few comments on that, and then we'll move from verses, uh, we'll move through verses 17 through 20. And the title for today's message is uh, God's Final Wrath. And I would like to read the context to you. It's always good to have a copy of God's Word open. You can follow along if you so choose. And I'm in Revelation chapter 14. And I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. Again, if you'd like to follow, please do. The Word of God reads in chapter 14, verse 17 of the book of Revelation. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth, and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the vine the wine press up to the horses' bridles for a distance of two hundred miles. So we began looking at this last week and we we said last week as we'll say it again this week, it's a very difficult section, but I hope I can cover uh, this in such a way as to give you some kind of an understanding. Again, it is a description of the imagery related to the last judgment. This is, according to where we are in the book of Revelation, moving through, at this point as we're moving through, what we're going to read in verses 14 through 20 has not happened yet. It's going to happen in just a few chapters, but it has not happened yet. However, we read it as though it is happening right this minute. It has not. In fact, we are at this point in the book of Revelation. We're going to see how this is looking, it's projecting ahead and talking about it. Now, it's from heaven's perspective. And so what the people on earth will see and experience is going to be quite different. And I'll try to explain that in just a few minutes. So the text reads uh, about this event that's coming up, and it is the, the theme of the final wrath has, our, wrath has already been discussed in chapter 14. In fact, it's uh, the, one of the terrible, terrible times that the earth will go through. And you would imagine, as I, I think I said last week, that by the time they get to this, just before this happens, uh, actually just before... Uh, chapter 14 happens, you but the people will probably be thinking it can't get any worse, uh, but it does get worse. Times will become worse and worse even from this moment on, and it's going to happen so quickly, and it's going to be a terrible thing. The judgment that will ultimately sweep away Satan, sweep away the Antichrist, sweep away the false prophet, and sweep away the demons, and sweep away all of the ungodly people is about to hit. So when we read this section, 
And this section is in chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. That's the entire section. It is still about to happen. But when we read about it, again, we're reading about it as though it's already happening. And so it's a judgment that will ultimately uh, do this, sweep away Satan, demons, ungodly, antichrist, false prophet, all of them uh, straight into their eternal destiny. And here it is depicted under the final reaping of the earth. Here is, uh, once again, we'll mention this, it is the unprecedented final massacre that gives the world its greatest bloodbath ever. In fact, I think that's what I titled last week, the the world's greatest bloodbath. Uh, The fury of Christ is released in final and devastating judgment. So, this week we're calling it God's final wrath, and even though we've got a lot more to cover in the book of Revelation, this is what it's talking about. This describes what we're seeing in chapter 14. And so, we have already looked at, uh, if you look at last week's message, if you have not heard that, I would suggest stopping this message and going straight to last week, the world's greatest bloodbath, and listen to that one, because that would be the introduction to this one. But again, in this particular section, we're seeing, and it's not unusual for us to see such wrath happening. It's been projected and uh, prophetically given to us throughout much of the scriptures, and we related to some of those specific things like Isaiah 63. We looked at Joel uh, chapter 3. Uh, we looked at Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25. There's just so many other passages of Scripture. And we looked specifically at Isaiah 63 and Joel 3. And uh, we, we looked at those because of the wording that is there. For example, Joel chapter 3 the wording is very similar when it says things like put in your sickle or the harvest is ripe. Uh, The surrounding nations have been warned. Let them be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Come tread on the winepress for it is full. And it it talks about this and we're going to see how all of this fits in and, and how Revelation kind of ties all this together for this one one great event still about to come. And so Revelation 14 ties this together. It's the image of wrath, the image of vengeance, the image of the the stamping out of the grapes and the wine press as symbolic of God crushing out the life of the ungodly. Now, once again, in fact, I had questions this week concerning this. Uh, We look at chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. That's the first part of this. It talks about the harvest of, uh, of the grain, the harvest of wrath. And we tend to think of that because of, uh, of the Gospels as a harvest of souls. And so it's a good thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's people coming to know Christ. But that's not what's happening here. This is not a harvest of souls. This is a harvest of wrath. And it's important that we understand that. And it's talking about unbelievers just like verses 17 through 20 is talking about unbelievers. This is not a section here dealing with believers and unbelievers. We don't have believers in a harvest of, of wrath, I mean in a harvest uh, uh, of, of the, the reaping of the earth in the first section. Uh, for example, you read in verse 16, and he, uh, he who sat on this cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. It wasn't 
reaped, take, cut down, or taken out of the harvest they, being believers. It's all unbelievers. And so I know it's a, it's a difficult section to look at because of that particular thing. So we t- realize that both sections here are dealing with the same vision. You see, this harvest here is pictured in two different ways. First, there is a grain harvest, verses 14 to 16. And second, there is a grape harvest, verses 17 through 20. The grain harvest and then the grape harvest, both are for unbelievers. It is a terrible time for both events. And they both basically cover verses 16 through 19 of Revelation. And we're going to see how that breaks out. I I mentioned that last time, and I'll try to mention it again this time. But in both of them, there is a sickle and a reaping. Now, the question immediately comes, why do two visions of the same event uh, happen like this? Why are they given to us like this? Well, one simple answer is there's lots of different visions of this same event, which I've already given to you in, say, Isaiah 63, Joel 3, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, and then there's passages in, in Jeremiah. Some think there's a few in uh, Ezekiel. And, and so you, you already have that. Uh, Paul has talked about the wrath. Uh, you find uh, it's, it's just listed throughout the Scriptures. But as you pertur- approach this particular juncture in the book, there's something more here than just a repetition. These are two great aspects of judgment yet to come, and that's why I believe the Holy Spirit has ordained these two visions to be given us here. And I was explaining to my wife last night, when we look at Scripture, one of the things that we ought to ask ourselves is, why was this included in the Bible? Why did God give us this section? For example, the whole book of Revelation could have been given, and you could have skipped chapter 14, and you still would have covered everything in the book of Revelation. But I believe, uh, well, first of all, we can't answer that except to say it is significant. These are two significant final judgments to come. First, we're going to see in chapter uh, 16 the seven bold judgments. And then we're going to come to the end of the tribulation, a rapid-fire sequence of frightening worldwide judgments that destroy the whole world system of Babylon, destroying the Antichrist empire. Empire. And then there's the second aspect of the final judgment, and that's the battle of Armageddon. And so I think both, all of that is covered here in 14 in such an uh, uh, unusual way because it's looking at these great events through the eyes of heaven or through the, uh, the perspective of heaven itself. And what we read in 16, 17, 18, and 19 is from earth's perspective of the same events. And you'll see they look quite different. So what I read you, verses 17 through 20, is from heaven's perspective. And what we're going to read in chapter 16 through 19 is earth's perspective. I don't know if that makes sense. But that's exactly what we find here. It's just a difficult book to explain. I love doing this. I love teaching on this and trying to explain these things. Now, I see it clearly. Uh, it's not a problem for me, but my problem is trying to communicate it in a such a way is that you see what I'm seeing. And again, that is always a, uh, an interesting thing. Let me just give you one more example of this. In verses 14 through 16, the great harvest, grain harvest, is pictured for us on, in, in, on, on earth from earth's perspective as chapter 16 
the bold judgments. In other words, even though it talks about it in, in, in chapter 14, and it talks about how he goes out in verse 16, he who sat on the cloud uh, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. It's manifested on the earth as seven bold judgments. That, that, I hope that, that makes it a little bit more simpler. So we looked at the grain harvest, we looked at the reaper, and it is, no, no, it is nonetheless Jesus Christ himself. And that is a, a very important thing. It is not an angel here. It is Jesus Christ himself. And we know from John chapter 5, all judgment has been given over to the Son. Uh, sitting on a cloud is just a picture of Christ, not earthly. He's heavenly. And uh, so he is, is, is referred to as one like the Son of Man. He uses that as a description of Christ. And again, he's wearing a crown. Uh Having a golden crown on his head, this is a Stephanos, not diadem. We said this is a victor's crown, uh, not the crown of of of, of the uh, the uh, crown, the, the king of kings. Stephanos is a popular word, particularly with the Apostle Paul. It's different from diadem or a royal crown, as we see over in chapter nineteen. He'll have that crown then, but this crown is uh, is is seen as a a, a, a victor's crown. So, the sickle, and we see it is, is in the verse, first section, is, uh, is, is swung. And, of course, we talked about the sickle. It's not a tool many people use today. There are some people that use it. And it is uh, swung, and the earth is reaped. And, then, and so that, verse 16, is really one of the saddest pictures. Because this is, this is people dying. These are all unbelievers that this is happening to. And so when it says the earth is reaped, that's what we're going to see when we come to the end of chapter 16, the bold judgments. And just to give you an idea, the bold judgments are terrible to have to read or to have to go through that in chapter 16. You read that, you think, gosh, how could anybody survive this? Uh, but let me tell you this, since, since I just brought that up, uh, the all of chapter 14 verses 14 through 20 deals with unbelievers dying going to judgment and there are going to be a lot of people survive that time and it's going to all be believers that is the amazing thing it's all unbelievers at this point and so boy we come to this and we begin to see uh, it, it is a, it is something so we, we now look at this uh, second section, and the second section is verses 17 through 20, and it is a, a very similar section in, in several ways. Uh, and so we, we, can, we, we see in verse 17, another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He had a sharp sickle. This is the fifth angel in the visions of this chapter 14, and he's also an agent of God's judgment. So without, it's like this is happening without even a break. Another vision comes immediately. Uh, not the grain harvest this time. This time it's the grape harvest. And while this certainly could encompass the bowls, because there's really no cutoff here. Some of 16 could be included in, the, uh, some of that grain harvest could be included in the grape harvest, or, or what? One writer even says, really it's all the same thing, and it's just two different ways of saying it. It's like, Two different illustrations for the same event. 
I think the thing is we really cannot know exactly what it is all talking about. We, we do know the time frame, and we know this is all the last event of the, uh, the getting ready for the last judgment that ends in Armageddon. So it covers all of that. So let's meet the reaper, verse 17. Another angel came out, the fifth angel in the, in the vision, chapter 14. And he has a sharp sickle. Both the Lord Jesus in the first vision and this angel in the second vision have instruments of judgment. Angels, you know, have played very prominent roles already in Revelation, and we've seen that over and over again. Now remember, now this is a visionary image of judgment, referring to unbelievers, not believers. The reason I say that is I still hear it. I, I, I read and, and heard one other message this week dealing with this, and it talked about this is a passage for believers and unbelievers, and it's not. It really is not. So, and from the reapers of the ripeness again, verse 18, and another angel, yet another one, number six. This one is identified as the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. Now, this is more interesting. It's a little different. This is somewhat unique. Here comes another angel, and this angel is one who has the power over fire. You think, what is that? Uh, he, the, now, this altar has already been mentioned in the book of Revelation. We went to it, saw it in the altar in chapter 6. It's a fascinating picture. If you go back, you can mark that in Revelation 6, verse 9. The fifth angel, fifth seal was broken, and I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who have been slain. The word of God and the testimony which they have maintained cried out with a loud voice, saying, O Lord, holy and true, how long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Now what we have here is the answer. We have here heaven answering that prayer that was prayed at the altar. So what you have here is the altar of prayer. It is the altar of incense, if you will, which was emblematic of prayer. This is symbolic altar in heaven. There are saints gathered there, and their prayers or petitions are rising to God. They are praying to God to send wrath. They have been martyred. They are praying to God to stop the martyrdom and send his wrath to crush the ungodly, to give victory to the saints, to vindicate the saints, to send Christ triumphantly, to set up his kingdom. This is what's happening here. It's an amazing scene. You think, wow, is, is, all, that, is all this really real? Is this going to happen actually well it is going to happen and you can see some of that as we go to chapter 8 but i want to give you just a little bit of a background twice a day the tabernacle or later on in the temple the time of the morning sacrifice and the time of the evening sacrifice the priest would go into the brazen altar and he would get fire this fire was always going uh, there symbolically ascending uh, uh, symbolizing the ascending prayers but the priest would go and he would get some fire and he would put it on the censer and he would go into the holy place and he would wave the censer as it were in the holy place uh, which was like the presence of God. Not the holy of holies but still a place where God would be present. And the incense would rise symbolically like the prayers rising from the people of God to heaven. Actually at that very moment outside the people would be praying. So he was symbolizing at the time of the morning prayer and the evening prayer exactly what the people were doing. He would stand right in front of the veil of the Holy of Holies and would wave the censer. 
He would then ignite the altar of the incense to its fullest flame, brazen altar, and then the altar of incense. The incense arose and it symbolized the prayers of the people. So the fire of the altar symbolizes prayer rising to God. It represents all the prayers of all the true saints who have ever made prayers to God. One writer puts it like this. It's all the judge, all the saints who have ever prayed, thy kingdom come or thy will be done. Now, all that's just background to take you to chapter 14 so that you can see this. Here comes this angel who has been dealing with the heavenly counterpart to the altar of incense, the fire angel, it calls him. That, that, that may be the first time you've ever heard that phrase. He's coming out and he's calling with a loud voice, put in your sharp sickle, gather the clusters uh, for the harvest is ripe. The grapes are ripe. Here, pictured in this is this angel, not so much coming from the throne as the first angel did, but representing the will of God. This is an angel coming from the altar because he's coming to see that the prayers of the saints are actually answered. He comes from a place where the saints have been praying and praying and praying, and now it's time to answer their prayers. So it's like he's walking away from them to answer the prayers. It's time for the grape harvest just as it was time for the grain harvest. That means the timing is exactly right. And again, these two different pictures of the same scene, uh, on one, one time, they overlap a bit. The bold judgments, chapter 16, then the great cataclysmic return of Christ. And you can see how one emphasizes that uh, the, above the other. The wine press and thus the splattering of blood and the gushing of blood and the... And the a deadliness that is characteristic of the return of Christ. Verse 18 says, Put in your sharp sickle, gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. In other words, cut them off. Sever them. You see, you see how that wording is? In, in, in verse 18, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. Now look at verse 19. And the angel swung his sickle. He cut them off cut them off, severed them from earth, vine, severed them from the earthly existence. This is unbelievers being cut off from an earthly existence. Why? Because their grapes are ripe. It's a different word for ripe is used here. It means fully ripe. They're, they're in their prime. They're busting with juice. They're busting. And that just is a picture of their busting full of wickedness. And the reaper, and the ripeness, now the reaping. Verse 19, And the angel swung his sickle and divided of the earth and threw them into the great, the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city. Blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Now I know this is a, a controversy thing. Could it really be a 200 mile long Four foot deep ditch. Could it be that? Full of blood. A wine press was an interesting thing. It was a, a way to catch the juice. And it says that and this is the, the same picture here. The grapes would be thrown into the press, trampled under feet by those who did the work, and they would stamp and crush those grapes so full of juice they would burst, and the juice would then flow downward through the trough and run down into the second basin, which would catch it. And so we see this. And we see this as a picture of the of the. Uh, it's a picture. It's a horrible picture. It's a picture of unbelievers being full. Uh, instead of juice, they're full of sin. They're full of wickedness. 
And it says there's a crossover in the imagery here. The splattering of the grapes becomes the splattering of those destroyed. All the enemies of God who are still alive when the final return of Christ comes. All the enemies of God who have survived the seven seals up to now, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, all of the unbelievers who are still alive will be engaged in the great final battle of Armageddon. There will be an Armageddon in the north, and we read about this in the end of chapter 16, and we're going to look at it again later, so I'm not going to deal too much with that. I don't want to really cover that. But it gives you the, the dimensions there. We're going to go over just how big an area that is, and we'll look at just exactly uh, where that, 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 that is. It's in the original land of the, given to the... Uh, to the land of the nation of Israel. And again, I, I, we read this in Isaiah chapter 63. We looked at it. I hope you've looked at it again in Joel chapter 3. And at that point, God's powerful angel puts the sickle in and the grapes and the harvest are thrown into the great wine press of the wrath, the wrath of God to be crushed. These are, these are not grapes now. These are, I know it says grapes, but it's, it's a picture it's, it's the crushing of people. Now, that's not literally what's going to happen on the earth because what's going to happen on the earth is, the, from earth's perspective, is going to be the battle of Armageddon. Uh, but we're going to see how this fits because it actually does fit. It says in verse 20, the wine press trodden outside the city is best to see that as a reference to Jerusalem. It's like the Lord sort of protects the city of Jerusalem itself at that very moment. And the prophets, Zechariah in chapter 14, Daniel in chapter 11, Joel again chapter 3, the battle will be around Jerusalem. But apparently the city will be spared from the bloody carnage, uh, the mess and again, I read this, and I just it just causes me to pause every time to think of how real this is going to be at that time. It's going to be an unbelievable scene. Uh, now you say, well, how many people are going to be engaged in the Battle of Armageddon? Well, we don't know exactly, but it's not unrealistic. As several writers have said, we could see uh, a million or more. Some people say two or three million people gathered there that will be killed at that time. <coughs> so, it's like one writer puts it, and I quote, but even millions of people in a bloodbath would make it very difficult to understand how that blood could be four feet deep for 200 miles. Well, I don't understand that either. It may be we're not seeing all that we need to see with the full revelation of that, but it is going to be a terrible, terrible picture. And we know that it's going to be for that far. Uh, so, it, it's, a, it's an awful picture, but I think we see here that uh, it, it is a picture of the second coming. It is a picture of Christ's coming. In fact, when you, when you read in Revelation chapter uh, 19, it says uh, in this about that, I saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and he who sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war, and his eyes were a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except him. And he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. There's a picture here of that grape's uh, wrath of judgment. And the word of God and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And his mouth becomes a sharp sword so that 
With it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with the rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. You see that? That's the picture there. It's even picked up again in Revelation 19. The angel cuts the grapes. If we can put these two scenes together, but the Lord Christ crushes out their life, it's an incredible scene. The land is literally filled with blood, and it is splattered all over the garment of the returning Christ. Then it says, On his robe and on his thigh was his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, cried out with a loud voice, saying to the birds, which fly in mid-heaven, covenant symbol for the great supper of the Lord, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, mighty men, all that. In other words, they're going to clean it up. And the beast was seized, and then it goes on and on. That's it. The final note of the grape harvest, the grape, the grain harvest, I think is describing those final bowls that leads up to the grape harvest. What a, what a picture it is for sure that this is going to be described like this. Uh, some people feel Ezekiel 39 is talking about this. That's a very debatable point. I don't see that, uh, but it says it in uh, Ezekiel 39, and we'll see. We'll talk more about that when we get to uh, Revelation chapter 19. But it is, a, it is a, a, a fearful thing to see this, and this is basically what 14 is talking about. We see the events all leading, starting in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, all the way to the end of Revelation chapter 19, being described in this section as the last two big events. So, for now, this is William Rogers. I thank you for joining me on another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. Next week, we'll begin looking at Revelation chapter 15. I can't believe it, but uh, it won't be long. We'll be dealing with Revelation chapter 20, and we could be on Revelation chapter 20 for, I don't know, two or three months. Easy. So thank you again for joining us today. Uh, Don't forget, stay in the Word of God. Read it. May the Lord bless you and thank you again for joining us.